So thank you for joining the Leadership Podcast with Sim Dendy. It's great to have you here and to be joined each episode with some inspirational leaders that are going to help us grow in our leadership. The question is often asked whether you simply have the gift of leadership or whether it is a skill that can be developed. Personally, I think it's both. Some are born with natural leadership traits and others have to learn the skills required. But whichever camp you're in, there is always more to learn in how we lead ourselves and others better. Which leads me nicely to today's guest, Joy Blundell, because we want to listen and learn from each of our guests. Joy is a leader that's always fighting for the underdog and describes herself as a justice seeker, pushing back against the injustice in the world, which keeps her very busy. Joy also oversees the social justice and influence a live church, which is a multi-site church in the east of England, and is a location pastor of a live Lincoln with her husband, Paul. She has a heart for the restoration and transformation of cities throughout the mobilization of the local church and seeing people find wholeness and purpose in Jesus. Joy is the founding director of Axe Trust, a Lincoln-based charity connected to a live church, which has an aspirational vision of poverty alleviation in the city. I love that. Joy is also one of the leaders of Transform Lincoln, a unity movement of church in Lincoln, and is part of the team that leads the ground level network of churches a trustee of CAP UK, and also in her spare time, runs a coaching practice called Threads, coaching leaders to find a unique purpose and apply it to the world around them to bring transformation. Thank you so much for joining me today, Joy. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. So first of all, Joy, we need to set the scene here. Um, you're sitting there next to your log burner. You are mm. in the beautiful city of Lincoln. Um, for those listening, you need to imagine some sort of 1990s Hovis advert and cobbled stones and steep hills and a beautiful cathedral. How am I doing so far? That's brilliant. Uh, That's the smell right. of Stokes Coffee Shop in the high street, which we Very have good. to go in every time we go past. So what first of all, tell me, what brought you to the city of Lincoln? What was the connection to that place? Yeah, well, I came to Lincoln 25 years ago from West Yorkshire, so I'm a northerner, and uh, I came to uni. But I'd visited a couple of times before, and I feel like it was a God thread in my life um, that brought me here. So um, uh, when I was 12, I went to the Grapevine Festival, which was on the Lincolnshire showground. It was the first time I've ever um, been filled with the Holy Spirit or it, it experienced anything like that. And so that was cool. And then when I was 16, I ended up doing a kind of Oasis Trust mission as a young person and got sent to Lincoln um, and did two weeks in Lincoln. And so it kind of kept coming back. It was a bit like a spiritual home. So, yeah, but I came when I was um, 18 as a student and then just never left. And was one of the reasons you never left a man called Paul? Yes, he was. Yeah. Although he was a couple of years younger than me. So he rocked up in, his, in my third year and then uh, we got married when he finished uni. Yeah. And so you was part of the student kind of, because Lincoln University is quite a new university in relative yeah. terms. You were one of, probably yeah. one of the first cohorts. Yeah, I came the second year it was open. So it was really not a very big campus at all, um, about 300 students. Although I came and looked around loads of different universities and the, um, the uh, vice chancellor gave this speech when I was um, 17 and I was looking around the university and, uh, and he said, um, if you want to um, have a go at making a mark on a city, uh, then you should come here. And that, like, to be honest, that hooked me in because I was like, that's what I want to do. So, um, yeah, it was really a basic, very small, brand new campus with not very many students. And the city has been transformed over the last 25 years because of it. 
Yeah, and you've had a, a large part to do that. We'll get on to some of that in just a moment because I want to hear a bit more. But I love the fact that even at that point, you kind of felt like, yeah, I want to make a mark. I want to do something different. Um, where did that Where did that come from? That kind of almost like desire to bring change and make a difference. Yeah, I, did, like, I loved your intro where you were like, leaders are are they born or made? And I, like, I'm an elder, eldest sibling. And I reckon there's something in there about um, kind of, I don't know what it is, like the um, nurture, maybe. Um, my parents um, totally expressed their Christianity through, through social justice. So um, I grew up hearing all about um, how we can follow Jesus by um, bringing transformation to the world. Like um, apartheid in South Africa, I remember walking around Sainsbury's as a kid and mum and dad saying we're not going to buy these apples because they're from South Africa and we want to make a different kind of world and and so I feel like that was just part of the nurturing of my life and so um it kind of sh- I sh- it shaped around me and who I am and I'm and my parents maybe do it a little bit differently but um definitely came from them and so you do you do that with your kids now you go around shopping and the kids in the supermarket and say we're not buying that because the air miles on that is out of season or something yeah where do where does yeah. your training pass on to your children i probably um so the bit that i think i've um changed is more that i would have a filter for the local church being the important vessel for that transformation and so definitely like sitting around the table we talk about as a church this is what we want to do and as the people of God um I'm probably not as good as my mum and dad are at the kind of um you know the like activism stuff I've like I've lost my edge my sister does that <laughs> I don't I don't think that's well okay I'm biased I think you're a great job what you bring and the idea that that you carry something different and love the fact you're trying to do it through the church as a community rather than going I have to be out there on my own yeah. we do it yeah. through being together in things and I think it's, it's more powerful though it's it takes longer and it's more challenging <laughs> what do they say if you want to go further go together if you want to go far go by yourself or is it, faster you want to go by yourself and I guess that's some of that but tell about your church because you're part of this church like you say you've been part of there for 25 years new life church yeah. it was originally yeah. And a live yeah. church about 10 years. Yeah, we've been, yeah, it's been 10 years this year, I think, in January. Yeah, a beautiful bunch of people who, um, uh, as we actually, our senior pastor just published his or a book about him, and it's been amazing just reading the journey, which is his journey, but also a bit of my journey and heritage, and um, really pioneering something new 40 years ago. and And then I landed kind of 25 years ago and um, a sense of real openness to students. And that was really impactful for me and kind of almost a expectation that God was going to do something through students. And um, and uh, yeah, the church has really like changed and shape uh, shape as the city's changed shape, really. And so um, now we're a multi-site and um, Paul and I, during COVID lockdown, planted a new site of we um, of the church into the north of the city. So that's a relatively new venture for us, going from a kind of really big congregation to much smaller, uh, but uh, loads of fun. And it's absolutely brilliant to be part of a bigger picture of a multi-site church and not just doing it on our own. So, yeah, it's great. Great bunch of people. Well, that's that's the important thing. But also, I mean, Lincoln as a city has grown a lot. As you said, the university started 25 years ago, pretty much. And that's probably been a hallmark of the 
growth of the city and it's yeah. and also you've got loads of villages around the outskirts and so it's quite a a broader city it's got a quite a connecting point is a hub i guess yeah. um to the surrounding yeah. villages for those yeah, who don't know the area tell us a bit more about lincoln how yeah. it kind of is made up so the um lincoln's interesting because it's kind of out on a limb miles away from anywhere else apart from lincolnshire county the county is really rural so if you're going to go anywhere east of Lincoln, you don't really get to anything until you get to Skegness and um, lots of villages and lots and lots of deprivation. So um, it's quite disconnected from lots of places from anywhere. So Lincoln would be the biggest city and it's not very big. <laughs> and so um, it's it's a bit insular in lots of ways, but also um, loads of innovation and growth happening over the last 25 years. And so lots more diversity as well in the city, which is really exciting to see. And um uh, yeah, I, I I fell in love with it when I came and then just never wanted to leave and feel I really feel like God's doing something here. And so feel like it's a, a real honour to be in the mix of it all of like a small the city council have this like dream that uh, being a uh, world class small city. And that would be we're a really small city, but let's be world class. I love that. And um, I, I feel like it's a really cool place to live. And tell me a bit more about deprivation, because, you know, we often, you know, I'm based in the south. We often look at the sort of rural, you know, I think it's north. I know it's not. It's east of England. But the idea of almost like I describe that kind of, the, you know, beautiful city scene, which is true. Lincoln is a stunning city and it does look beautiful. And often we see those sort of rural images of cottages and land. And, you know, if you're stuck in a, a, in a city in the middle of a, you know, a bustling London or a Manchester or a Birmingham, you think, oh, that sounds delightful. So, so tell us a bit about the sort of the hidden, you know, kind of uh, struggles that maybe people in Lincolnshire as a county face. Yeah, well, I mean, even now with the rise of fuel cost, it's huge for um, we, our infrastructure is really poor. So like the transport links um, to be able to get anywhere. So I live in a village um, not not too far from the city centre, so just north. And there's only, the buses stop at five o'clock. And so if you haven't got a car, you can't really get anywhere. And then um, lots of lots of elderly people, older population, because um, people come here to retire. And then health problems. So health inequalities are massive. The, um, if, you're, if you don't have your own um, ability to get anywhere, then the uh, transport infrastructure is really poor. Like even things like the internet infrastructure is rubbish. So sometimes I expect to be on a Zoom call and it just like break down because um, our um, internet is not very good. And so if you don't have wealth and and also you're quite disconnected relationally as well from people being in such a rural environment. And so it's really different to being in a bustling, bustling city. But the, um, there's also lots and lots of like really brilliant points and parts of it and the way that people work together is is incredible um but it it does feel like the, the lack of funding and infrastructure puts people on the back foot really is that because you get a lack of funding because people have that assumption that it's all fine in the city i mean we get that where i live in in romsey you know, a market town and everything's stunning and beautiful and po picture postcard and that that's never true. There's always pockets deprivation in every city, every town. Um, mm. Is that some of the challenges you face that's almost like everything's yeah. okay? Yeah, I think um, a few different things. So um, politically, there's like, I uh, don't want to get political, but the, <laughs> um, the different types of um, kind of investment in the city and the county is really um, radically different because of the different um, administrations um, around. And also um, 
Uh, I would say, I mean, there's loads of farmers, but they're not like we don't have lots of wealth in the county. So in terms of finding philanthropists, like we, we don't have a lot. Um, and then I guess we're not like a Manchester or a Birmingham with huge urban deprivation. So we're kind of full in the middle. But actually, just to like celebrate, we have just had a massive chunk of money come from um, government, central government. And it's going towards some of the projects that I'm involved in and feel like almost something's turned a corner and we're able to do some things that we've only been dreaming of before. So, yeah, that's good. So. Let's take us back to that moment then where you you turned up in Lincoln, you've done your, your degree, which was in psychology, psychology. So you're there yeah. and you're, you're fresh out of university. You've met your future husband, Paul, and then you end up at what point working for a live church as, as it becomes. Um, so I did about six years in the voluntary and community sector in Lincoln. So finished uni thinking I wanted to be a clinical psychologist and then met one who's a really good friend of mine and thought, don't want to do that. And um, the kind of sitting one to one with people all the time would just have, it just wasn't varied enough for me. So I started working just as a community development worker in one of our more deprived areas and absolutely loved meeting loads of different people. And um, I went from doing that to then um, starting a new initiative that was like an infrastructure body across all the voluntary sector in Lincoln. So supporting charities to kind of recruit volunteers. And I get really passionate about helping people find their contribution. And so volunteering is really like a cool thing um, for, for me to be involved in. But after about six years of that, um, a, a couple of things happened actually. My sister died of cancer and that was like really, um, um, I mean, obviously heartbreaking. She was two years younger than me and it was really painful. And we prayed, she had a really quick um, deterioration. She was diagnosed in the November and she died in the February. And I remember, I guess, like, couldn't not need to do something. So I called all my friends to pray. And we prayed together every night for four months, for half an hour every night, just believing that God would do something. And um, after she died, like, the kind of trying to reconcile the mystery of suffering and the pain of that, and also my inner inbuilt thing that I want to bring change to the world, and I just felt like I needed a new challenge, but also I wanted to do something that um, didn't just, that was the, Pete Gregg says, um, pray as if it all depends on God and live as if it all depends on you. And so I prayed as if it all depended on God and still believe in prayer. And it's like the, one of the hallmarks of mine and Paul's ministry, like we love prayer, but also just needed to do something to bring more what I wanted to. I mean, it's probably an inbuilt thing in me of like, this is how I'm dealing with my grief. But um, at that point, I was like, there's so many things happening in the city that are brilliant things, but the church isn't doing much. Mm. And um, it was doing a little bit different pockets around the city. But I just, I felt like I wanted to mobilize the church. And so went to see our senior pastor, Stuart, and um, said, this is what I'd love to do. And remarkably, he just said, okay, do it. And he employed me, the church employed me to set up a, a trust um, that is now the vehicle for some of our community engagement um, called Axe Trust. And, um, and that was the start of the journey, really, um, of us 
trying to do something a little bit organised and strategic in our aspiration to eliminate poverty. So that's been quite some time. I mean, that's many, many years. And, and obviously that was a bit of a trigger, what was going on with you personally and what you experienced and your reaction of, I've got to do something. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a kind of, they talk about the, um, uh, you know, kind of the Popeye effect, you know, I can't stand this anymore. Something's got to shift. Was yeah. that what it was like for you that, you know, you became this, you, you describe yourself as a dreamer and a leader, yeah. that you don't just think about stuff, you actually lead people somewhere. Is that what kind of happened for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I've probably spent the last 17 years trying to undo some of <laughs> some of that because it's definitely like it's a strength and a weakness as well of um, thinking that it all revolves around as us as leaders. And um, But uh, yeah, I was like, there's so much brokenness. My sister didn't get the opportunity to live out her dreams. Right. I'm going to go for this. And, and, that, and that's some of the stuff that I've had to like unpick a little bit um, because I just jumped two feet in. Um, but loads of good stuff happened as I was um, partnering with God, I think. I, f- I feel like it was a Holy Spirit nudge mixed with my impulse of I have to, I, I want to bring change to the world. Oh, I love that. I, I remember, I actually remember talking to your senior leader, Stuart, when you start up Axe Trust, we had this whole conversation which you know, in some ways I've never quite resolved around where did these social justice projects sit within church structures? Because and we had this whole discussion and I was adamant at the time, and I think I'm still adamant that it should sit within the, the charitable structure of the church itself. I know Axe Trust went to a separate organization. We had this whole discussion, Stuart and I, where should it sit and what's the role and the social gospel and are we watering things down? And sending people happy to hell. There's, there's, there's all this kind of stuff out there. I know it's a loaded conversation, but I just wondered after all these or 17 years of Axe Trust starting, and my understanding is it's still a separate charity that's fully part of the whole. Yep. Um, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong. I don't think there is actually a very clear no. black. It's not a black or white. There's just a view, yeah. views and opinions. But what's your view on, on that discussion? Yeah. Um, if we were going to do it again, I'd do it really differently. So we we wouldn't have a separate charity. Um, I don't believe in the social gospel as like, I don't think that's the thing. I think the gospel is the gospel and um, good news to the poor has to include the um, reconciliation of relationship with Jesus and the reconciliation of relationship with our material world. And so you can't separate, you can't have one and not the other. Um But the practical outworking of what we've done in Lincoln has meant that I have spent my life as a leader straddling two kind of organisations and trying not to do the splits. So like saying to um, the ACTS team, we are totally part of the church. This is the church. Like, And then saying to the church, come on, church. ACTS isn't just like, we're not just a brokerage organisation that allows ACTS to do the work of Jesus with the you know the materially poor Mm. you need to be part of this otherwise it's just a good a charity that does good works Mm. and um and so the fact that we set it up as a separate charity has enabled us to get funding that we wouldn't have been able to get um although now I totally believe we would be able to get it it's I think right at the start we might not have as much but um we've talked about dissolving it quite a few times and now we've got such a reputation and such infrastructure that the church wouldn't be able to ca- kind of pull off 
what we're doing. And it would almost be a distraction for the church staff team to have to manage all of that when we've got a board of trustees who do it really well. So it's it's huge. But anytime anyone says to me, should we set up a ch- separate charity? I say, don't bother. Just do it as the church. Which, which is what I said to Stuart all those yeah. years ago. But the, <laughs> I mean, but, but can I throw this one? Because, you know, in the church that I lead, uh, we keep all of our community projects within the same charity. But uh, probably just about a year ago, I sensed that we were starting to so fragment that our community projects were becoming, taking so much of our resource and energy and our time, and they were getting a lot of the profile that we'd almost forgotten why we were doing what we were doing. And so it doesn't really matter at one level. If you've got two organizations, you can be fully together and you can have one organization that's completely separated out internally. So that is an, one level of semantics. And I do agree with you. I think now the funding opportunities for churches, the government are so desperate for any help. Sounds a bit harsh, but I think there's some truth in that. And and if you've got a proven track record, which you do have in Lincoln, they will approach you and saying, could you help us deliver yeah. our outcomes? And so yeah. I do think it is one of those, it's a challenge. I love what you said there, putting, you know, there's not a social gospel, that the gospel is the gospel. And I, and I think, it, you know, I, I got to that point. I remember when I was younger, I used to sort of always preach that sort of St. Francis of Assisi at all times, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. And I, I now don't really say that anymore because I think, no, the words are really important. If all I've ever done is given someone a food hamper or yep. I've helped someone get out of debt, but I've never told them why I'm doing it, then I, I don't feel I've fulfilled my mandate uh, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. Yep. Um, how do you bring that into acts trust well we read this book that was absolutely transformative for us about seven years into what we were doing and we were just we were giving out food parcels and um and we were uh doing loads of good stuff we were serving homeless people all the time you know 90 a week giving out food to people who are sofa surfing and um actually i was on maternity leave with my first baby and i read this book you can't just have a baby and like switch off from like the call in life, can you? So uh, the book, I, as I read it, I was then like, oh no, what have we done? Because we are d- going towards the kind of like, we're just going to help people. And um, so it's called When Helping Hurts, um, how to help the poor without hurting them or yourself. And the kind of premise is um, that if we believe that um, poverty is just a lack of stuff, which the Western church often does, then we will just try and give them stuff to try and make them not poor anymore. Um, but it doesn't fix anything. But it, And it also perpetuates a bit of a saviour complex in our own life where we're like, oh, we're the rescuers. And um, and so, it, I mean, it's it's loads more nuanced and like the book's amazing. So it's, uh, and I know it shaped a lot, a lot of the work in the UK and the church engaging in um, society. But the premises were created for relationship in four key areas. And so our relationship with God's our primary key relationship and then relationship with the world, the material world, um, finances, the economy and work. And then our relationship with ourselves. So our kind of self-esteem and our relationship with um, other people, the community. And because of the fall, all of those relationships are broken. And so if we just look to fix one of them, so even just fixing, helping people fix their relationship with Jesus without restoring their relationship with themselves or the community or their purpose in life and their kind of uh, working and economic contributions, they're not actually living out or working out their salvation. Mm -hmm. And so... um, 
so within acts when we read that we changed loads of things we, we closed some projects down so one really good example was a homeless meal that we were doing and our friends who run um a addiction rehabilitation kind of church planting movement called Battelle um just would say to us all the time you're not helping by serving homeless people meals like this you're cushioning their blow and then they never realize that they need Jesus and so we we closed this meal down this dropping thing down that we were doing and got loads of backlash in the church people were really upset and were saying this is what the church should do and but none of them were on the team so I was like well yes it is what the church should do but where are you you are the church so not stopping you like feel free um, to go and do that but um uh, then we started to, to design the work that we do to help so all of our projects now we make sure and we design them that they are working towards rebuilding all four relationships for every person we serve and keeping helping us to keep growing our own four relationships and not breaking those as well. So understanding that it's not just the poor out there, but we're also poor if we don't and we're broken. And our discipleship journey is about enabling any engagement we have with anyone to bring restoration to all of our relationships and not perpetuate the brokenness around us. I don't know if I've answered that question, whether it's just that's a bit conceptual, but that's kind of how we do it. No, I think that's really helpful. I think to point out the fact we're all broken and that idea that, you know, the saviour complex kind of thing, I think for me, it's a bit of a, a middle class church issue where if we help the poor, that means we're not poor that we've positioned people and I'm in some sort of hierarchical system and it will keep you poor because it gives me a sense of value that I can help you and I feel better about my wealth, but I still go back to my, you know, nice middle-class home afterwards and you're still in your circumstances. And I think to break that, we've all got something to learn from each other. Um, We're better together than we are apart, Um, you know, to to learn from each other. I mean, that's fascinating. What what was the, the name of the book again, the book title for those listening? So it's called When Helping Hurts, and it's by Fickett and Corbett. Um, okay. So When Helping Hurts, yeah. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for that. And, and, and on that note, you know, I mean, I know you're involved with CAP, um, Christians Against Poverty, which is an incredible organisation. And, and we have a debt centre and a, a life skills and a job club in our church. And we love um, all they do. But I do have a question around some of that kind of stuff that, you know, Cinema Network would be well known for many people probably in the UK where almost these franchised social projects. And I felt recently like it's become almost a bit of a, I feel like it's sort of like it's the Boy Scout badges of churches, you know, which ones have you got type of thing? Have you got street passes? Have you got Trussell Trust Food Bank and all these brilliant organizations, but it's almost like they've packed them up so well and and why wouldn't you do these things? Why wouldn't you help the poor and the needy? And are, do you think there's a problem where we might be going a little bit too far to just kind of almost lining up stuff and keeping ourselves busy? And, and if we're not careful, forgetting the very purpose of why we started meeting as the church in the first place. Yeah. Um, have you got any thoughts on that, which I know you might be careful because obviously you do have a role within CAP. I'm not asking you to say anything untoward, but but any views on the, those kind of where we are now almost professionalising our church outreach? Yeah, I, I view all of those things like CAP and Food Bank and uh, there's so many incredible ministries that are there supporting the church to engage in their community in a way that if they weren't, we wouldn't have the skills to be able to do it. Um, and so I'm like, I feel like it's been a move of the Holy Spirit over the last 
kind of 20 or 30 years and now they are kind of coming out of our ears a little bit aren't they like um like innovation um and then scale but also i know that as i talk to our um city council who is one of our key partners um they would say uh we are one of the biggest delivery services of care and support in our city and my reading of the bible is that is the calling on our life to worship Jesus and then also to partner with him in the renewal of all things but I think when churches are just doing it because they think it's a good idea and they haven't prayerfully considered what is going on in their community and um, what is unique about their church and how they can serve and um and actually that's where just i love the work of tier fund so tier fund um international development organization who um are working in some of the poorest communities of the world and they um they kind of go through this process that we adapted in lincoln which is they called it discovery and it's really like a prayerful innovation kind of process where they teach individuals in the, in the church that we're all made in the image of a creative God. And we have the um, solutions to the problems around us at our fingertips because we are creative. And um, it's a process of prayerfully kind of mapping the community and saying what, what's, what's good here, also what's broken. And then in the church, what's good? What have we got? Like, what are our assets and how can we like put, put those together? And then I think once we've done that, then we could say, oh, so if it's, if there's brokenness in the form of debt and we've got people who might want to serve in that way, then CAP's a great instrument or a tool to help us with that. Mm. But let's not just take it off the shelf and say, as a church, we all need to have a CAP centre because it might not be the most pressing issue and it might not be like the the kind of unique solution that is wants to come out of the unique body of people in that particular area or ge geography and actually like I talk to CAP about that all the time and they fully agree they like they they have worked with Tear Fund and um, I think in the next few years there'll be something really beautiful that emerges from the learning that some of the poorest communities have done and then been able to adapt that for the UK. And actually one of my colleagues, Simon, has written a book um, that goes through that process and how we've done it in Lincoln as a tool for the UK church. So um, I like, totally agree with you. I think if you're going to take something off the shelf and just like stick it on your church, it's, um, it's a blunt instrument. And um, we're all unique, aren't we? And we reflect God in lots of different ways. And so he's, he's called us to our communities intentionally and our communities need us not a one size fits all res response yeah. and, and sometimes it's okay to say no to things that there yeah. might be a need doesn't mean you have to answer that need and it Absolutely. feels hard to walk past thinking oh you know we should answer every need that's not actually our calling uh, is to love not to do <laughs> yeah. and sometimes it's about loving our neighbor enough to go we're not the right people to help yeah. you um yeah. we can we can find someone we could maybe even support someone else to do that yeah. Um, I came across a, a Chichester in West Sussex where in Chichester, all the different churches do a different project each and they, they share the volunteers and they have different projects that they say, right, we'll be 
we'll run the cap center, we'll do the street pastors, we'll do the food bank. And then if you want your volunteers, they can come and help us here. And I love that idea of together as, as the, as a church town churches, you know, sort of working together and going, actually we're called to serve together, not just individually. Um, how does that work for you in Lincoln? Cause obviously you, you're part of the transform movement in Lincoln. How does that work for you? Yeah, we do something really similar. We've got um, Transform, Transform Lincoln is kind of a movement or a body of group of churches across the city committed to working for the spiritual, cultural and social renewal of the city. And um, spiritual kind of comes first, but we recognise that we've got a, a role to shape the culture and also society. And, um, and we, um, over the last seven or eight years, have worked on some agreements together a bit similar to Chichester actually I didn't know they were doing that it's really cool um, and we've done the tier fund process across Lincoln where we've helped all the churches think about together we've gone on a journey together what do, what is in our hand and what could we do um, and we've got a bit of a commitment it doesn't always work in practice because um, I think church unity across the city is like hard work but um our kind of principle is if there's a new project that we feel we want to set up, we'll go through that discovery process and we'll also just check in with Transform, like Lincoln and the church, the church partners. Um, is anyone else thinking about doing this? Like we don't want to duplicate. Is there any way we can work together? Is there an opportunity to do something a bit like Chichester where we, um, we add a little bit, you add a little bit and, um, and it's been incredibly beneficial, actually, in Lincoln. One of the amazing innovations that has come um, is Lincoln's got a, a really high suicide rate, particularly for men in their 20, age 25 to 35. It's like one of the highest in the country. And we were praying about it across the church in the city. What can we do to be part of the solution? And, um, and because of our collaboration together, um, we were um, we're able to say to the city council and to the NHS, we've only we've got one front door. So you, as the church across the city, you just need to talk to this one person, and then they'll talk to us. And so um, this one person, my friend Sean, she was at um, a meeting for the NHS commissioners, and they were saying, we've got we are really worried about this suicide rate. And we said, and she said, we are as well as a church. In fact, we've been praying about it, and we feel like we want to be part of the solution. And they said, okay, let's do something. So they've commissioned us and they pay us um, 90,000 pounds a year as the church across the city to keep the lights on in the church um, every night of the week. So we have a different church building open every night of the week, receiving referrals from the mental health crisis team and A&E. And so anyone, often people who go to A&E with a mental health um problem is usually a loneliness issue not um the crisis team like they don't need to go to a crisis team so um a and e then will pay for a taxi for them to come to one of the churches and there's a team there who will play cards hang out pray chat and then um, make sure they're safe um and then the next day the kind of the medical teams will pick them up if that's if needed and it's an amazing practical response wow. where the church has been able to do something and then like the NHS has paid for it. So I love, I oh. love the innovation there, Joy, that, that the fact you're doing it together as churches and yeah. it's been a prayerful thing. And it's, I mean, what an incredible offer to the needs we're all facing. And I, you know, yes, it's obviously a, a tragic situation you're facing there in Lincoln, but around the country, loneliness, isolation, mental health, 
and to have found a, an idea this could work it actually sounds quite I'm sure it's not simple but it's simplistic yeah. in the sense it, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll open the doors which yeah. we've done a bit of that I guess you know you'll be aware of the warm welcome campaign that's going on yeah. at the moment and yeah. seeing churches and local organizations libraries and scout halls going well, we could play our part we could open mm. the doors and help people and, and yeah. I love that kind of almost push back into community and going well you know we, we could do something here yeah, um, yeah. So, so is that something you're involved with about the warm welcome? Has that been something you've done locally? I mean, it's like a daytime version of what you do at night. <laughs> yeah. So there's um, one of the things that the NHS have paid for as well is two workers to work on behalf of the NHS and the church to basically find out where the gaps are and to like plug the gaps and um, make sure that health and social care basically and the church are working really well together it's amazing and um so our two community connectors who are both christians uh and they've been working to map the places across the city that are possible uh, warm spaces and then to be able to fund that to give so i know the other day one of the community connectors was like i've got nine thousand pounds and i can buy you know those um those cool blankets that you can like put on you know and uh, hot water bottles and like extra heating and um, and that just feels really cool that the church can respond I think um, for me when I think about that crisis and it just all of them it's always just a crisis the crisis of relationship and the thing that the church does really well we're not brilliant at professional services but we are I think really good at friendship and building relationship and so wherever we can be someone who can be someone's friend then that's a win yeah I, I love that idea just yeah we can't we can't do everything but we can do community we can we can look out for each other and at a yeah. very low level you know I, I, I love the fact you're actually pushing into that because I mean at the moment it feels a bit like the UK is a bit broken mm. uh, you know there's you know you said mentioned the cost of it living crisis energy prices war in Ukraine we're facing so much and the knock-on effect then you've got things like mental health and some of the stuff within teenagers and, and the challenge they face and social media and, and the kind of the, the challenges that, that you can't get away from the online bullying and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what for you as a, as a, as a justice seeker, what are the, what's the one you're going, if only we could get hold of this, if we could just grapple with this more, if we could put some more funds in or more resource to what is the, the one thing right now you're thinking we've got to get ourselves around that one. Um, so for me, it's a, so it's less about like the social delivery of a church. I think, so I know we've talked loads about that, haven't we? But, um, and that's how I kind of got involved, I suppose, in, in this justice ministry stuff. The more I think about that, there is only a certain amount of projects that the church in a city or town can do. And what it does is ignore the 97% of people that aren't going to be able to volunteer or and or probably 90% of people who aren't going to be able to volunteer because they're working or they're, you know, doing other things. Mm. And um, I think the one thing that I think as a church in the UK, we need to start taking much more seriously is more holistic formation of our discipleship to understand that following Jesus doesn't just happen in a Sunday morning or on a life group or as you're serving in your cap centre, but it happens like, every hour of the week and we um, use all of the opportunities um, in front of us to be formed by Jesus and not allow culture to form us and then as a result of us 
allowing Jesus to form us and be and us to be transformed by him we bring transformation to the world around us and I think we have to take seriously much more seriously the sense of all the things that are forming particularly our young people and to if we want to create resilient disciples to start really supporting people equipping people um to understand who they are and then that they've got wherever they are on a monday Mm. not just on a sunday that they can bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and then i think if we could really release that latent potential in the church pews we could see our nation transfer transformed through sacrificial service and love um that's a bit conceptual but no, I, I, lo- I love the concept. I think it sounds like discipleship to me. It sounds like yeah. walking the way of Jesus. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think it's what our calling is, and you've articulated really well. Um, we need to wrap things up for the sake of listeners and their ears and the time we've got here. But are there any sort of final thoughts you've got? And we've covered a whole lot of areas. Um, what is it, you know, you're kind of still like you're buzzing with at the moment? What's the thing you want to kind of wrap things up with? So I think prayer. I feel like I've talked loads about action, but I'm so grateful to my husband, who's more like a monk, <laughs> who just loves prayer. And um, and to know, like, it does feel really overwhelming, doesn't it? Like, when you look at the UK, it feels really overwhelming. You look at the world, it feels really overwhelming. But being in the presence of God and being with his people, who also are soaked in the presence of God, just changes everything. And so allowing our fear to... Um, just just to melt away as we find hope and we find his perspective and um and we've been praying just for the last three months as a church community in the mornings and praying for our nation and I just feel like it's changed me as a result and so rather than me thinking how can I change the world which has been my like last 25 years of like ministry and life I think maybe when you get kind of into the second half of your life start viewing things a little bit differently but I'm definitely feeling like so what does Jesus need to change in me first and prayer is just like the most exciting way to do that so yeah I know we've talked about action but I just think uh, we'll be like wonky people if we just act and so for um, a beautiful sense of kingdom balance we need to be praying Wonderful. Thank you so much, Joy. Thank you for landing it so well around the area of prayer. And it is so important that we are people who don't just do things, but we all spend time with with God as well. So thank you, Joy, for joining us on today's episode. It's been great to have you with us. Thanks, Tim. It's been fab. And thank you everyone for listening as well to the Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation with Joy Blundell, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you or go ahead and have a listen to our Exchange Podcast, which is available, or send us some information on social media. We'd love to hear more from you. But until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening. <laughs>